All right, let's talk about our time. Time is a constant in your life. Everyone in this room and everyone outside is constrained by time. We are bound by time. We obsess with time. This week, for some reason, as I'm getting this message ready, I keep writing things that say, that say your deadline is March 1. Your deadline is April 30th. Deadlines. How many people in this room have deadlines in their life, their daily lives? All your hands are going up, right? You notice what they call it for school, for work, for even family events? A deadline. <laughs> what happens if you don't meet it? What's, you're dead. It's really our time. Our time is wrapped up in deadlines. There's nothing alive about that. What's the big deadline, right? You tax people like Pastor Bill in the room. April 15th. What a day, right? People shake on April 14th. I don't have my taxes ready. I got to get an extension in or I've got to get this done by tomorrow. April 15th. Pastor Bill does like 100 tax returns from now until April 15th because everybody is geared to that governmental deadline. That's what time is to us. Our time is finite. How many times do you hear people say life is short? All the time, right? Where does that come from? Why do people who don't even have any connection to Christ say, huh, life is short? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says life is short. And here's what it says in James 4.14. This is probably a very familiar verse to many of you. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. All right, it's difficult for me to say, but Lars, my golfing friend, your life is a vapor. Steve back there, who's writing notes copious, copiously because he's gonna repeat this all at Life Group tomorrow and make fun of me. Your life is a vapor. Yeah, Bruce, your life is a vapor. Elliot, even though you're going to Costa Rica, your life is a vapor, even if you're surfing. You're not going to be here long. Very long at all. Other verses call it a mist, a vapor, a shadow, a breath. That's what your life is. And here's God's time. Completely different than our time. 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9, and also 15 is where we're going to, to sit today and talk about God's patience. But here's God's time. Verse 8, 2 Peter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. So he's right in your face, people. Peter, through God, is telling you, don't forget this. This is really important. Here's God's time. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So where, where does Peter get that from? Does he just 
draw this out of the air? Does he just make it up? No, he's talking about what was said way back by King David in the Psalm, Psalm 94. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. So what's God's view? God is not finite. Not at all. You know who created time? God. God's not obsessed with time. He's not constrained by time. He's not bound by time. Time is a whole different timetable for the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. I will tell you this. With all these deadlines, everything we have in our life, we're worried. I was worried this morning. I got up really early. I was having a great time. I'm playing worship music, and all of a sudden, I have to be there by 8.15. That's my deadline. And it's almost 8 o'clock. And I'm not ready to go. So in the car we go. What am I worried about? i got to be there by 8.15. They're going to be waiting for me. Of course, they're not waiting for me at all, right? But I'm worried about that. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand being late. If I'm late, I am irritable. If I'm late, I am anxious. Time makes us anxious. Time gives us great worries in life. God's not worried at all. God is not a prisoner of time. He's not in any way bound by it or constrained by it. He's not like us. And that's why we really can't sometimes understand God's timing. When we pray often, where's the answer? It's been 10 seconds. I don't have the answer to that prayer. Right? Well, think about this. A day is like a thousand years. If you get that answer, say, in 60 days, that's, a, that's nothing for God. So that's God's time. And Peter is writing this book probably about 65 years after Christ's death and, and resurrection. And even in that time, they're saying, and we'll get to this in a minute, hey, where's your Messiah? Where's this Jesus? It's taken a long time. The old things are just continuing. You know, he, he isn't who you say because it's 65 years later and he hasn't come back because he said he was coming back quickly. People, it's over 2,000 years later yeah. now. Yeah. There's the, the question. Where is he? Come, Jesus, come. We've been waiting so long. Oh, have we been waiting so long? We're going to talk about that in just a second here. So here's what I want to leave you with today. Your God, your Savior, He is patient beyond all belief. Well, how do I know that? Let's look at verse 9 and 15 of 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is 
patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's verse 9. That screams out that Jesus, in a very purposeful way, is willing to wait for you. He didn't have to wait for me. It took me 35 years to finally get it in my heart that Jesus was my Savior. 35 years. What if he wasn't patient? Where would I be now? Think about it. When did you come to Christ? Some of you are probably here and you haven't yet. He's patient. He's waiting. He goes on to say in verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. There's something in the law that's called an intent, a mental state. So we'll all put you in law school now, right? There are four mental states. Because if I walk up to somebody, if I walk up, I'll, I'll use Pastor Richie as an example. I don't want to use this as an example. But if I walk up to Pastor Richie and just give him a big push, the push is the act. If it's only the act, there is no crime. There has to be a mental state, an intent that goes with that crime. There are four of them. Purposely, knowingly, recklessly, and negligently. Purposely is the highest mental state in the law. I'm about to do four or so first-degree murder cases. First-degree murder is purposely causing the death of another. Purposely. Here's what purposely means. It means having a conscious object, a very specific intent. I desire something to happen. I want it to happen. It's way beyond knowingly, which is just being aware of my act or knowing what the result is going to be. It's purposeful. So when the scoffers, even today, just like they did 65 years ago, say to you, where is this Jesus? Where is your Messiah? It's been well over 2,000 years. I hate to tell you, he's not coming back. There's a very simple answer to that question. Jesus is waiting. And he's waiting with a purpose. He's waiting with an intent. He's waiting with a conscious objective, a desire, a want that no one shall perish. He doesn't want any to perish. His heart at its very core is he wants to find the lost and he wants them to be saved. His delay, I'll tell you what his delay is. His delay is not a denial. His delay is a divine opportunity for your father, your mother, your son, your granddaughter, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, who doesn't know Jesus to come to Jesus. Maybe today is the day of their salvation. Maybe today is that day that that one lost sheep out of a hundred is found comes face to face with Jesus. Amen. 
He's not indifferent. He's not disinterested. He's not some pie-in-the-sky God that you can't have any relationship with. I'll tell you who he is. He's patient. He wants you to come to salvation. He wants to meet you face to face. And for those of us who are already there, our job in life is to honor that patience. We should be on our knees praying for those family members, friends, neighbors, just people in the community, maybe that homeless man sitting on a curb, that they come to Christ, that they get that peace that passes all understanding. It's not slowness at all. We may think in our human times that it's really slow. That song, right, it, it hits me. I heard it as I was preparing because they're playing it on K-Love every other minute. Come, Jesus, come. We've been waiting so long. Well, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We've been waiting just over two days. But that's so long in our concept of time, right? Oh, he's, he's coming. Verse 10 makes it very clear. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief in the night. It will come quickly. Are you ready? It will come when we don't expect it. Are you ready? That's our job here on earth, is to prepare for his coming. Maybe we'll be here then. Maybe we won't. Maybe by death we'll be coming face to face with Christ. Maybe he'll return and we'll be raptured up with him. Oh, what a glorious day. But I will tell you, it's very clear in many verses, he's coming back. But he's waiting. Yes, you can clap for that. Don't fear his coming back. 1 Timothy 1.16 is a great testimony. This is from Paul. This is what Jesus defines when he comes back. This patience. Paul labels it an immense patience. But listen to this. Especially if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know this Jesus he is talking about. I sat in a church because I had never been to church for quite a while, going, wow, this is a lot of talk about this Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. I thought I knew God. I had been raised and gone to some Greek Orthodox churches, and I'm sure there's other Greek people here. My mother was Greek. Uh, Greek Orthodox churches are beautiful places, but I usually went there for funerals, and it smelled of this incense stuff, and people were chanting, and people were literally hugging the person in the casket. And as a 10-year-old, was, I was freaked out by it. But that was, my, that was my church. That's all I knew of church. So I, I never had the opportunity to have this relationship that Paul speaks about. And Paul was a persecutor of Christ. The worst among the worst. And here's what his salvation experience taught him. It's in 1 Timothy 1, 
15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Many of us feel that way, especially before we meet Jesus. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So what's this divine patience lead to? What is its real purpose? It's so simple. Just like the gospel of Christ is so simple. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. His purpose in waiting for you, the specific intent of his patience, his conscious objective is that everyone would be saved, that everyone would come to salvation, that everyone would have that faith that gives you love, kindness, peace, joy. Why wouldn't you want to wait for that patience? Why wouldn't you want to experience the love and kindness of Christ? Know this. If you're sitting in this room today and you don't know Jesus, he's waiting for you. He's waiting with patience. He's waiting with love. He's waiting with kindness. While you may not have the time for certain things in your life, Jesus has the time for you. Because a day is like a thousand years. He's waiting for you. Maybe you're sitting here today, and today is the day of your salvation. Listen to this verse. I love this verse. I was just listening to the song, Reckless Love, before I came in here today. And, and it's all about Luke 15. Here's what Luke 15 has to say. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And just think about this. Uh, tax collectors, they weren't like our IRS agents. Or maybe you think they are. They were the most despicable thieves on the face of the earth. And who is Jesus gathering around? The tax collectors and the sinners of his day. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. You know what's muttering? Religion. That's what's muttering at Christ. You should know, if you don't, that Christ railed against the religion of his day. He railed against the condemnation and the judgment and the killing that religion had at its hands. So all these religious elitists were muttering. And here's what they say to him, to Christ directly. This man, first of all, he's not a man, he's God. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Then Jesus told them this parable. And don't you love when he speaks in parables? Instead of just giving them a direct answer, he just blows their mind with the parable. And you really have to think about it. You have to take it in. I'm sure they're standing there going, whoa, 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 what, what is he talking, what, what is he saying to us? Here's what he says directly to the religious people. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then the key line, the key answer. This is Jesus. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He's looking for that one sheep. And he's waiting for you. Thank God he waited for me. Thank God, as I look across and see so many friendly faces, that he waited for you. He's waiting, people. He's inviting you in. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to worship with you. He wants to give you that peace that passes all understanding. If you're searching for peace, I'll tell you right where you can find it. Jesus. And he's patiently waiting. Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your, your patience. I thank you that as we try to run from you, Jesus, as we try to start our own little holy wars, as we try ourselves to patiently wait, but then we just kick down doors. I thank you that even though we don't deserve it, you never change your heart and your mind. You're always kind. You're always patient. I pray that your purpose of waiting is fulfilled today. I pray that if there's that one lost sheep in this room, that they would come running to you today. That they know that you died a sacrificial death on the cross for all of us, for all of our wrongs, for all of the misbeliefs, for all of the sins, that cross just wipes them away and you remember them no more. That three days later, you were resurrected. So I pray that as I pray, the people of this church who know you are praying that that one lost sheep would come to you. And if you're that one lost sheep, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out or do anything at all to put a light on you. But if you've heard this message and you want to know Jesus, if you know now that he's patiently waiting for you and wants to have a relationship in eternity with you, I just pray that as everyone else is looking down and praying for you, 
that as I look across this auditorium, if that's you, just raise your hand up and keep it up so I can see it. Just one lost sheep. One person who needs Jesus. Thank you. He's been waiting for you, and guess what? He's here for you today. God bless you. Grab somebody like me or someone else here who truly will love on you. And uh, we're, not, we're not looking for you to be a member or anything like that. We're just looking to, to solidify your salvation in Christ. There's that one lost sheep. They're here today. Any other lost sheep at all. God love you too. He is with you. It's finally your day of salvation. God bless you. Your old life is gone and your new life has arrived. Again, grab someone like me or Victoria or Pastor Richie. We'd love to, to talk with you today or if not today, some other day. But your salvation has arrived. Yeah! And, and to be honest, for those two lost sheep, that was kind of like a golf clap. That's not happening in heaven right now. In heaven, it's exploding. In heaven, they are screaming, holy, holy, holy. In heaven, they're going wild. And Jesus is smiling down upon you. Don't ever forget that. Thank you, everybody. Um, I have this really special friend. The first message I gave was about her. Uh, and, she, and she was a miracle. She was diagnosed with brain cancer and given just a month or so to live. And she lived for six years because she said, I'm asking Christ to allow me to live long enough to see my little granddaughter go into first grade. It's all she wanted. And on that cancer journey, as she battled in many hospitals, the one thing she did is say, Jesus is patient. He's waiting for you. She didn't mind speaking his name. In fact, that was her, her mission in life. Before I gave my first message, I called her and said, can I give this testimony about you? And she said, yeah, on one condition, that when you're done, you give an invitation. If you don't want to give an invitation and invite people to Jesus Christ, I don't want you giving my testimony. So know that even though people are calling me a pastor and I've been anointed as a pastor today, I am not a pastor at all. Not, I'm just an elder, which means I'm old. And they will put me up here once in a while. But I let the spirit move me. There wasn't any specific plan to give that invitation. But I'll tell you right now, two people are in Christ's hands. God bless. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.